0: you're about to enter seventh heaven if you like this pod then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel if you're looking for extra content you can go to our youtube page or our social channels twitter and instagram our handle at seventh heaven pod again like subscribe
1: share and we hope you enjoy the episode One night in heaven, 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 one night in heaven.
0: Welcome back to Seventh Heaven, episode 13 of your celestial one stop shop for all things sevens. That's right. We now have enough episodes to enter into a World Series podcasting event with a man to spare and make a fine old fist of coming away with a gold medal. The home of the showman in the past fortnight, P. Bake and Gus P. Show have ascended the stairway to Seventh Heaven. But just like Tina Turner, the hits keep on coming. And this week we bring to you two GB Olympic Sevens legends. As Rory McConaughey and Marcus Watson join myself, Burnsy, Mitch and Chippy up in the clouds as we welcome the boys and welcome you, our loyal listeners, as we get excited because... We're back, baby. It <laughs> was yes, a
2: great
0: then,
3: intro dude. again. Love it. Is that all you do during your days now? You know how you say how time intensive podding is? Is it because you're just practicing your intros in front of the mirror with your shirt off?
0: Pretty much. I'm basically a stay-at-home boyfriend these days because my girlfriend still works. So she goes to work. I have 10 hours on my own entertaining myself, speaking to no one and just thinking about seventh heaven.
2: <laughs> couple of sprints at the moment, Burnsy. Yeah, uh, couple of sprints I've been hearing. Uh, you were on the hot, on the heels of uh, our P. Bake inspired you. My speed game.
0: Yeah, I've been do- I've been doing the sprints. I've been on that sprint hype train recently. Well, I, t- I was doing a lot of long distance running, and my knees just can't handle it. I'm 35 next month. I'm creaking like a haunted house. So I'm trying to give myself a little bit of longevity by doing some sprints. I also, I had a dream in the week when you two retire the 7th Heaven Sevens Invitational Team.
3: We're already a well old team, aren't we? So it's the natural progression.
2: The chemistry levels are at an all-time high. Do you remember you play FIFA and you have to build your ultimate team? And obviously we're from different backgrounds. Mitch is posh as fook, I'm a rough northerner and you are a burns of the intellect, old bones, the serial campaigner. And the is at 100 at the moment. Let's build it up and we'll fire through to this next podcast.
0: Right, so, uh, so, so we've got to kick things off first by... Thanking our listeners for the sport and the light. It's been a big 10 days for Seventh Heaven, our two most listened to podcasts ever. And while our Instagram following is still just shy of 500, we've had thousands of views for the videos of P-Bake and Gus P-Show, two pretty monster names for us to get on the show. So we appreciate you wrapping your earlobes around a set of headsets and listening to our ramblings and uh, we're following up with two big names today Rory McConaughey and Marcus Watson in the clouds although they were actually in the clouds last week because we did record the show last week and then Gus Pichot came in with a late bid to be episode 12 and he just beat out the boys in the team
2: vote.
3: Yeah we've been uh, waiting to drop this one. I've been excited after it was, I think we enjoyed ourselves probably too much recording this one, Chippy, didn't we? Uh, Catching up with a couple of the old boys.
2: Yeah, uh, it was a great uh, couple hours, wasn't it? I remember coming out of the room after recording it and my face hurting just from smiling the whole time, listening to Marcus and Rory. And Marcus has got one of those infectious laughs. So when he chuckles, it sets me off every time. Even just thinking about it now. (laughs) Do you know, for all the hard work that we've done
0: on social media... It just takes one video of pure comedy gold to be the most watched, shared and liked video in our history. And it is McConaughey at the Olympics.
3: There is so much good in that video. Like the the freeze frame at the beginning before you even play it, where he's just looking off into the distance with this big grin on his face. It's so innocent and he's so pissed. (laughs) It's cold. And then he just goes on and on and on. If anyone hasn't seen that video, get on our Instagram and watch it because it is a guaranteed lol. Do you want to hear something sad, Mitch? Yeah, go on. Before the podcast,
2: I'd heard about that interview, but I deliberately not watched it because it was too. <laughs> Too um, fresh in the mind over the last couple of years with the Olympics, so I've just obviously stayed well clear of anything to do with the Olympics. So I got the the listeners' Im- initial impression when I watched it the first time. That was the first time I'd seen it last week after the podcast, and oh my. Gosh, that was a hell of a video. The head wobble for me when he gets it was just adaptable. I was at university and I'm in an Olympic final. <laughs> anyway, I won't give too much away because he's going to speak about it on the pod. Um, but, oh, absolutely amazing. I was on a different journey at that time in my life.
0: Mate, mate Rose was on a different planet at that stage in his life
2: by the, by the looks of things. Oh, amazing, absolutely amazing. He based his career on getting the mick taken out of him. Eddie rinses him. Simon rinsed him, all the lads rinsed him. Seventh Heaven, we're following the trend after Eddie Jones. He's a world-class coach, we're a world-class podcast.
0: So not only is it our 13th episode today, chaps, but it is a birthday of one of Seventh Heaven's favourites, our favourite frog. Guess whose birthday it is today?
2: John Paul Barak.
0: John Pascal
2: Barak. I wished him a happy birthday. Bon anniversaire. Bon anniversaire. Bon, anniversary.
0: bon anniversary. He's handsome, is old JP. Didn't give him enough credit for that, but I was on his Instagram today and I liked what I saw.
2: <laughs> Burnsy, before we ask you what you've been up to, speaking of viral videos, did you see uh, Will Muir's 26 challenge on the farm with his press ups? Outstanding! He's my favourite England Sevens player. He did 26 press-ups with different uh, farmyard animals on his back. So he had cats, cows, chickens, dogs, pigs, sheep, all sorts. You name it, he had it on his back.
3: So he's been working towards getting on the pod for a while.
0: He chats Mitch and my house party a couple of weeks ago. He just appeared. So before they start
3: stealing all your information, he had to delete the app. House party has uh, <laughs> died a death now, isn't it? Like one dodgy article leaked by another rival um video conferencing brand and it's just died it's a bit of a shame it was was quite a good crack wasn't it but it was just believed the the conspiracy that steals all your information
0: no house party worth mentioning ever went by without something being stolen anyway they did it so
3: you should be the marketing man for house party
0: it'd be a nasty shock if i turned up in your house party tops off like i am today
3: yeah it must be hot in putney horrible visual
0: behave i've got the best collarbones in the business (laughs) if I was on a dating app and they asked for a bit of skin I'd go straight to the collarbone
2: you're disgusting.
0: so let's turn our attention to the topic that is on every rugby lover's lips at the moment Gus v Bill we had Pichon
3: last week and what do you guys make of him? I thought it was a good conversation it was a good chat I thought it was nice to chat I I thought he'd be a lot more formal than he was it was was nice to chat to him and see how relaxed he was Um, and you know i think he's he's got a genuine like passion for the game which you'd kind of expect for someone in his position i suppose um it was difficult to get into some of the nitty gritty like i wanted a bit more from him i think at times a bit more detail but maybe you know he's never going to lay all his cards out and it's probably not that straightforward so giving him the benefit of the doubt there i suppose now what did you think chip definitely a little
2: v large isn't it with uh old big bill and uh Our little lipper, (laughs) Augustin Pichot. No, he was a top boy, wasn't he? He he spoke well. As he said, I think that's the kind of theme of his uh, campaign, is trying to be a bit more relaxed and a bit more like with the people um, and kind of freshening it up, um, talking about his suit and his trainers, his, his sneans. Um, yeah, he was quite relaxed. One, he? he was a nice guy. Thought we got some good content from him. As I said, as you said, Mitch, it'd be nice for him to delve a bit deeper into some of the topics. As you get, the, you get this with all the the senior kind of RFU people as well. You just get, a, you get a little bit of an answer, then you just get the straight back response of stuff they've already said to someone else that they're just regurgitating. But no, I thought he spoke, spoke quite well.
0: Yeah, I think th- thematically, I'm down with what he's about yeah I think change is is a big word isn't it it's quite a seductive word it appeals to the idealist and the romantic in you but it also masks the practicalities of how to actually get the job done so I think I'm still left wondering how this change is going to happen from him and from Bill to be honest because they're both very very similar tickets what's what's your old muck of Bill saying Chip you had any contact with him
2: Nothing. Radio silence. Obviously, I dropped him a text after we had um, Augustine Pichot. I haven't heard anything back, but obviously, he's I must be low on the list of people to get back to. I'm sure he's got a lot on his plate at the moment um, with the bid going on. Um, You're seeing some of his policies, and they look really quite similar to Augustine Pichot's. As you said, it's all in the implementation of what how he's going to get it done, basically, and. it's all well and good saying you're going to do these things, but I'm trying to back it up. But now, I'm, obviously, I'm backing Bill. He's, he's from the north. He's a good lad. England, England rugby lions, rugby legend. You've got to back him. He's done a good job for the last four years,
3: and I'm sure he'll crack on and hopefully get get the win this time. You're a loyalist, Chip. I like that. That's why we love you. Um, I think <clears throat> there's a potential distraction in this leadership contest, though, isn't there? Like you've, we've both we've all said it here that it's all about implementation and how do you actually bring about these changes that need to be made in world rugby and let's be honest they do need to be made because it's a bit of a mess and i wonder if actually the kind of personality contest that maybe p show is pushing a bit more than than mr beaumont is a distraction from maybe the real issues i don't know what do you think i've only really just had that thought you sound like you mate from the campaign it's
0: a mess <laughs> i feel a little bit sorry for bill as you said It feels more of a personality contest at the moment. And you've got to give credit to Peach for going out to podcasts, every news publication all over the world. I mean, it seems almost unfathomable that he would have found time for our lowly podcast, but he came on, gave us plenty of time, very honest, and there was an authenticity to what he was promoting. But Bill's been in the job for four years and everyone's loved him. For this entire time, but it's only in the last two weeks, three weeks that people are beginning to turn and they've seen something bright, new and shiny and they've thought, oh, do you know what? I'd like a bit of that and I don't want the old fuddy duddy anymore. And I think that he's kind of, I don't know, he's losing the media battle a little bit and they're so influential in the thought process of everybody in the rugby world.
2: Yeah, people are people are easily swayed. Like the grass is always greener, um, and it just takes someone like Peace, who's been he's jumping up and down trying to get his head over the fence to to show everyone what he's about, and he's he's hitting all the right areas at the moment with the uh, social media. But Big Bill, you never know; he might be doing all the graft behind the scenes and putting in the hard work and getting policies actually in place to. to to get him over the line um it's not always what it's the unseen stuff that that's what might be going on in the background we don't know at the moment but yeah as
0: a man of similar stature Mitch would you be using a trampette to try and get your head over that fence when you're I can't believe
3: Chippy in this key time in world (laughs) rugby uh and you're just making short gags about one of the uh potential leaders so unfair Um, i've got i've got to keep it lighthearted at the moment mitch you know what i mean (laughs) as a as a cynic i know you'll be surprised to hear cynicism come from me i know but i don't want to make this too broad a point but you know like the big rise in kind of populism and what we've seen in politics the trump era like is that just what we're being sucked into now with the media game as you said instagram twitter a lot of this is about volume We're actually just seeing a lot more of the show stuff, like who knows what conversations are actually going on. And is that the world we live in now where actually people just buy into volume and, you know, this feeling of anti-establishment and something different rather than maybe looking into the quality and the actual content that we're going to be delivered? 100%.
2: 100%. Let me put an analogy for you. You're under 16s, right? There's always one player under 16s, age grade trials, right? Yeah, I've got him. He's my man. I've got it inside you. Come inside me. Come on. Mitch, Mitch, pull. Tire. Burnsy, Burnsy, Burnsy. Push up, Burnsy, push up. He's getting picked. He's, get, he's, get, <laughs> he's getting picked, isn't he? He's a, he's a great communicator. He's a crap player. Do you want to know a prime example of this guy? Lewis Messer. Forged a career. Not the best player, what a communicator! Yes, yes, chip, chip, come tire, come
3: tire. England students he played as well. Mate, I'm yeah, going to defend. Him. Mitch, you with me? I'm going to defend Lewis Messer though, because the man runs a bloody good court session. We had the yeah, England students a great back in great court the day. Session. Do you remember? Yeah, he's a great. That's what I'm. As I said, he's a great communicator.
2: He's a great communicator. That, <laughs> he's an that's orator. What,
3: the man's an orator
2: that's it you can forge a career in it I've been telling my nephews are uh, five and seven I said you just need to speak more so we're, we're speaking as we're doing catching pastorals, because that's a massive part of the game at the moment and it's just building up if ed- if it's anything like age grade trials when I was a kid
3: the loudest person in the room got picked oh he was in oh he must know what he's on about get him in get him in oh it's that horrible moment in there in the warm-up like when you rock up at trials and in the warm-up and you're in the huddle and then there's some big mouth like just noising off about a load of crap trying to be the captain. And he just like, oh, shut the hell up, mate. <laughs> I believe that was you, Thomas. It, it was students. It, mate, I was I was always too nervous to speak. I was probably on the other end of the spectrum. But oh, nah. the big wigs, you just let them be there, didn't you? You just like, let them have the time and just hope that the coaches see through it. But they never did. Never did. Anyway, let's hope this um, presidential <laughs> campaign
2: is a bit more formal than under-16 England trials.
3: <laughs> <And, laughs> Bernsey, do you um, actually know, just to get a bit technical, how did the elections actually work?
0: So there are 51 votes at stake and they're all votes to the unions around the world, but they're weighted differently. So the Six Nations... And the Sanzar countries, their votes count for three. And there is one other country uh, whose vote counts for two. And then everybody else counts for one. So presuming that all the Six Nations countries go with Bill Beaumont, then he's got 18 votes already. He needs 26 to win the election. Sanzar go with Gus Pichot. That's um, twelve. Four. That's four countries, isn't it? Yeah. Four countries by three. That's 12. Uh, That's 12 votes and then the rest are up for grabs. So that's part of the argument that there's an unfair weighting in favor of the tier one nations, which I kind of feel that they should be having a, they should have a, a bigger say. They generate the most money. The game's been there longer. They've got the larger fan base and they've got the infrastructure to actually make these changes and implement them. Whether they
3: do so is another story. So, Loads of politics at stake there. Yeah, it's a, tricky, it's a tricky game to get your head around as a rugby fan, to be honest. I imagine some people would just be sitting back and waiting to see if anything comes of it. Well, that's, the, that's interesting
0: to your point, Chip, that while Gus is winning the hearts and minds of the rugby lovers out in the world, it doesn't really matter. He needs to be winning the hearts and minds and the votes of the nations. So he could have everybody who plays the game wanting to have him in but if he doesn't have the votes from the boardrooms around the world then it means yeah. nothing
3: you just got to be talking to chairman haven't you of the different... that's it
2: you're saying the selectors yeah. and chairman aren't, what, aren't uh, on the side of the pitch at the moment that's what he's trying to say
0: I'll tell you what one, one last thing on this before we crack on what do you think about his suggestion for a year round sevens circuit
3: I was in a... circuit <laughs> how's your how's your Argentinian fancy? Um, I was a uh, bit... circuit circuit I was a bit uh, confused by that answer because I don't know whether I just misunderstood, but when he actually explained what a year round circuit would be, it sounded a lot like what our year is already anyway, for the top tier nations who basically have full year round contracts. I think what he was probably referencing was the uh, less well funded nations that maybe did they only have short term contracts, so they don't have. So their sort of pre-season time and rest time is not including their contracts. Is that right? Or did I misunderstand that? That's what I thought he was saying as well. But um, yeah, so I don't d- think not... he was actually talking about a change to the competitive season structure.
0: It sounded to me like it was more focused on the challenger nations to have a year round competition. And that the steps have been made by having those two challenger events that lead up to Hong Kong to determine the the top eight sides that all have a tilt at becoming a nation, But the other thing about extra legs on the series, mo- increasing it to 12, maybe 14, with the likes of Fiji, Chile and
2: Brazil mooted. What do you make of that? Sounds like a hell of a trip, to be honest, but at <laughs> the moment it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty hectic at the moment. Well, it was before all this uh, flew in. Um Yeah, I don't know how feasible that is with the current... Like layout, it's already stressful enough on the bodies and the squad sizes would have to double um, and the funding would have to double, which is not the way it's going at the moment, unfortunately.
3: It's not sustainable. Like Already we complain, I suppose, is the easiest way to say about the, the difficulties of player welfare with the current structure, with the travel, which people don't realise how much of a toll that puts on you. Like, psychologically and physically. And this is, a, <clears throat> this is only with a, a 10 tournament season you increase that to 12-14, as Chippy says, unless you're whacking some funding in there and supporting bigger squads and improving the conditions of travel and stuff like that and the sequence of tournaments and things. No way. Like that's way down the line, in my opinion. Say
0: who was all over a tournament in Brazil? Harry McNulty.
3: Don't get me wrong. I would love to go. I'm I, i I'm not against world rugby maybe doing shorter term um contracts with hosts potentially so that they are freed up to move tournaments if they're not working particularly well or if they think there's an opportunity to move them i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i mean it's difficult because obviously you want to allow someone to build a tournament in their city over a couple of years and build a fan base so you, that's the trade-off i suppose but then you gotta balance it is it is it if it's not fresh in the first
2: year if it's not the excitement and fresh Event and people want to come to it, uh, for example, Sydney, uh, and then you move it out as soon as Sydney moved out of the city and they moved it out to Parramatta or wherever it was last year, and the fans weren't there. That should have been them. Sorry, lads. See you later.
3: Well, I think if there are any circumstances like that where they have to move it, maybe there's a clause that they can move it to a different city completely, a different country, whatever. um I don't know how logistically how feasible that is. Um, and what we've experienced, Chip, is that over the years, actually, the player welfare is becomes an issue when you move these tournaments. Because until, <clears throat> until a country or cities run a tournament, they don't necessarily know the teething problems. And sometimes that can hurt the players, you know, the surface that you play on, like the pitch, um, how well that stands up to a weekend of sevens, the hotels, the food and stuff like that.
0: So chaps, I think we just cut to the chase. Everybody's in lockdown, everybody's bored, and we're here to provide a bit of substance. So, we're going to do so this week with two Olympic silver medalists, two former teammates of yours, Chip, and yours, Mitch, now applying their trade in the 15-a-side game. We've got Marcus Watson flying down the wing for Wasps at the moment in the Gallagher Premiership and Rory McConaughey, a man who was on that plane to Japan for England's World Cup tilt, and a big name at Bath these days. Pumped to have these boys in 7th Heaven.
4: One night in heaven, one night one in one one
0: Boys, one welcome one to 7th heaven. heaven then. What, what do you make of it? You're in the studio, live with the 7th <laughs> Heaven crew. When was the last time all four of you were together? Uh, uh, was it Mitch? <laughs>
4: one of you guys, Mitch's wedding? Yeah, it would have been.
0: Yeah, Mitch's wedding. Yeah, over a year ago. Jeez, could do that. But this is all, as I understand from Chippy and Mitch, because Rory's too big time to spend time with the the rest of the crew these days. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
3: For, he said, "Full caps or no caps." <laughs> <laughs> Ross, when you agreed to come on, how prepared were you to get <laughs> absolutely hammered about I was,
4: it? I was prepared. I, I was waiting for the questions coming in from my mates that one of you guys put out on on Instagram. I was like, this is not going to bode well for me.
0: Do you know what I've got your back, Rory? Because I know that you've listened to probably more episodes than anybody else in the country. So you're you're Seventh Heaven super fan. What about you, Marcus? Which is your favourite episode?
1: Uh, The last one. Actually, if people did listen to it, the one with Perry Baker, he spoke about rugby and stuff.
0: (laughs) But Marcus, I heard you on Lima Sopawanga's one. With the, uh, with the Cousin Brothers yeah, the that, other day. That
1: was the first one I did, actually. Um, yeah, that was good. It was good fun, actually. That was all right. So you guys have some, you know, some living up to do.
0: Rory was my first, my first ever professional interview uh, with, a, with a player when we did, the, we did the yo-yo test at Twickenham on yes. that first day for London Sevens.
4: Burnsy smashed it. The, uh, this, is why this is why he's bringing it up, because he wants me to say Burnsy won the yo-yo. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> I wasted the deputy editor of Men's Health. I just had him in my pocket all the way. So sweet. I
4: think we had two people go out on like the the walking round, in that <laughs> we had to pull two people. We we're like, I'm oh, sorry.
2: Don't underestimate
4: Rory. Don't underestimate how hard that is. <laughs>
0: last time you pulled the jersey on Marcus, that was it the Olympics for Great Britain Sevens, wasn't it? Yep,
1: yeah, it was in in the final where we we got hammered. But yep, yeah, that was the last time. <laughs>
0: Pretty decent journey at that point. And then Raws. you left Sevens about a year ago and went to, well, 18 months ago and found yourself at Bath. How are you guys finding 15s life? I know that you're a lot more accustomed to it, Marcus, than Rory, but obviously it's a completely different world to Sevens. Yes, yeah,
4: it's, it's, it's very different. It's, um, so my last, my last involvement for the Sevens was World Cup final in San Fran, where we lost as well um and then yeah so since then just been at bath and is still relatively new to me i was trying i was chatting to my housemate the other day like i only started playing really in about december january last year um and then this year i've only i've only played about three months as well so i've actually probably only played about six or seven months of 15s uh, since I've been here, so it's still so, it's it's still such a new game, and there's a lot.
2: Imagine imagine how good you'd be if you played a bit more, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> Gone to the World Cup already after playing six months. You are class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
0: Marcus, you're you're strategically waiting for the next cycle, I presume. What
1: for the, for the Olympics? For the World Cup. Oh, for the World Cup. It, yeah, geez, How old will I be then? Yeah, it's possible. be 32. Beautiful. I'm in.
2: Perfect, Marcus. Prime age, I think, that you have your man
0: strength. So, Marcus, we're obviously meant to be an Olympic year and that was the whole purpose of this pod, but that's been postponed to 2021. But looking back on when you were last trotting out a Rio, you'd been in 15s, then come back to 7s and gone back to 15s. So... How was that leaving the setup and then parachuting back in for the big one uh, in terms of lifestyle, training, headspace?
1: Um, yeah, it was. So my first year in Newcastle took a little bit of getting used to one, obviously moving up pretty much the, nord- the most northern part of the country where it's absolutely freezing and then getting back to 15. To but um, I think one thing that. Mitch, well, all three of the boys will tell you is I'd gone from sevens, obviously. And then in um, pre-season at 15s, I kind of was feeling pretty good about myself when it came like fitness wise. I'd only been in 15s for one year. And then as soon as I'd gone sevens training, I found myself right at the bottom in terms of fitness with everyone. It was (laughs) (laughs) ridiculous. Yeah, it it was ridiculous. I'd still thought I kind of came into it thinking I can't have lost that much well, I don't even think by the end of the 12 weeks I was kind of where I was probably at when I was playing sevens, but I was close to it and it took that full 12 weeks, I reckon. Talking of being in Nick, Marcus, just a little side note, that
3: picture I found of you at the Comm Games, some, there are some pictures of your time at sevens where you are absolutely massive, by the way. Did <laughs> you feel like you're in better nick, like stronger, quicker, fitter all round doing that sort of training?
1: Um, Yeah, I reckon... Yeah, I reckon so. I think the one big difference is obviously with 15s, you're playing a game every weekend, then you're kind of recovering. You can obviously push yourself, but a lot of the time that's like two, three, two or three days that you can go really hard, maybe probably two. Whereas obviously it's like a mini preseason with sevens, isn't it? So you can kind of build up and you're working really hard for those four or five weeks. So in terms of as an athlete, I don't, I don't think I'm miles away from it, but I definitely think I was best uh, when i was
3: playing sevens and what's that like for you boys in terms of like the structure of the season from what you've experienced so far both of you like sevens is quite frustrating sometimes because you're training quite a lot and then you get your big event that you go and play at obviously 15 season much more consistent playing every weekend like which you prefer what's the difference like
4: i like I like the fact in sevens that you could sort of train and peak for that tournament and then You've got, whether it's in season, I think, what's the quickest turnaround? Is it still sort of two and a half, three, three and a half weeks? It's still quite a long, it's still quite a good good amount of time to get back into sort of feeling good by the time you go out and play. Whilst 15s, I think you can get yourself into a bit of a rut where if you pick up a couple niggles and then pick up a niggle the next weekend, you suddenly haven't been in the gym, you've been in the gym sort of two or three times in three weeks and because they're just trying to prep you and get you ready for that that game at the weekend. So... You can, in season, I feel like you can lose a lot in terms of strength, fitness, or, or yeah, fat meals definitely definitely go up in season, 100%. 100%.
2: <laughs> and what's that looking like now um, with you lads? Obviously, no one's doing any training. What's, uh, what's your kind of off-season away from the club looking like? What
1: are you saying? Well, we've kind of, obviously, the whole situation at the moment is uh, pretty different to any kind of off-season. But... Well, we managed to just before sort of lockdown get a bit of gear from the club, so I've managed to sort of get about 80 kgs worth of weights, and I'm trying my best to sort of stay in stay in some sort of shape. And max lifts, is it, Marcus? But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I've got my I've got tendonitis, bad Achilles tendonitis. So I'm trying to sort of rehab that to get to a point where I'm running. So. Yeah, and not eating before 12 at the moment, trying
3: to keep those meals down, do you know what I mean? Show preach, us. preach, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Show us for the YouTube vid, <laughs> I did actually have more than one person respond to my Instagram asking for questions for you, just asking if you're single and basically trying to slide into DMs. Mitch, I told you not, not to tell not him. Not so many for you, Rory, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> A story of my life.
0: Boys, talking about the extended period of time that you're going to have off and there's a lot of responsibility on you to manage your own training. Do you think that some players are looking at this thinking, do you know what? This is going to be awesome. I've got a sustained period where I don't have to play. I can actually look after myself and probably come back fresher than ever. And then there's some players who are panicking because they don't have the motivation or discipline to keep themselves in Nick and they're going to come back looking like an absolute train
2: wreck.
4: Um, Yeah, I I reckon it's it's definitely 50-50, isn't it? It's going to be some of the boys that, that love it and probably... I reckon there's going to be so many boys at the end of this that somehow get another year or two on top of their current sort of playing years just because it's going to give their body a rest. But then, yeah, they'll definitely boys that are getting getting comfortable, getting the bottles of wine in every night and stuff. Um It'll be, it'll be interesting. I don't know when, yeah, I don't even know when we're going to get back as a squad, but it'll be funny watching, looking at the different people that come through the door and seeing the sizes of some of them.
1: I, I actually can't wait to see it. I'm so interested in the people that I think are going to come back in good shape and the people that I don't think are and just trying to sort of weigh it up. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
2: Name some names. Who's going to be the biggest, biggest gainer, biggest loser?
1: Uh, at WAS the biggest gainer is probably going to be somebody like a Ben Velikop. He uh, trains real hard and he's an absolute freak in terms of athlete, but he's just come back from an ACL. But I still think that like he's just going to come back freakish. He had one training session before and was just stepping everyone, just done his ACL, so I think he's going to come back in pretty good shape. He's going to come back in bad shape. One person, I don't think he's going to come back in bad shape, but I don't know if any of you follow Nizam Carr on Instagram. But he yeah, puts yeah. up the funniest training videos, like little footwork drills, and he's literally going at like twenty. He's going at like twenty percent, and then he'll just be like putting the most ridiculous hashtags in, That's it. like half dedication. <laughs> I'm like, what are you up to? And then he did. He put up a weight session. He's doing the same weights as his misses. I'm like, what's going on <laughs> <laughs> from fast point of view I
4: reckon I reckon the person that's going to come back in the worst could be Josh Matavesi just from the short time yes. I've known him I just I think he's gone back home to Cornwall with his family I don't think he's taken any weights or any equipment with him and he's just settling in for the summer um I reckon him and then the best shape actually I think the best shape is probably Marcus's brother Anthony because he's He's got a better gym set up at his house than he does uh, at the club. So, <laughs>
2: yeah. good, good story about Josh Matavesi. When he was at Worcester, he lied to the uh, skinfold guy and told him he was 10 kilos lighter than he was for six months and then finally ca- finally came clean and said, listen, I'm 115 kilos, kilos. <laughs> He has Nutella, has Nutella with a little bit of porridge on top in the mornings. <laughs> Jesus, 115. Wow. Yeah, top boy though. Good, great player,
4: good bloke. <laughs> he is a good bloke.
2: Oh, he's funny. So, ch-
0: so chaps, having come from sevens, can you, can you explain to us how attritional a full season is in 15s? And I guess you've probably only done one cumulatively, Rory, but you, Marcus, back to back to back. How does that add up? How does that mount up across the season on the body and on the mind?
1: Really good thing about sevens is you've got those to sort of the two tournament weeks where you go obviously as hard as you can in those, in those two tournaments. And then if you pick up any sort of little injuries or whatever you've got, hopefully, I think obviously it's a bit different now to when I played, but when I was playing, we kind of have three or four weeks to to get ourselves into decent shape. So if you kind of picked up a little niggle, luckily we had a sensational physio Remy as well. We'd um, get us into a sort of good shape. So if you, if you had picked up any injuries, you'd have most of the time you'd have enough time to to get yourself back into good shape. but with fifteens sometimes by the end of the season, you're carrying sort of one or two sometimes even more because a lot of the time if you've got a little niggle, you might not train the uh two days after the game, and then by the weekend they're trying to they'll be trying their best to get you out um and that can build up and i'm I'm a back three player, and I see some of the some of the back rows. Literally carrying themselves on the pitch every weekend, putting in ridiculous shifts, and then just going again. I just don't know how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that
4: I've thought, like coming into fifteens and stuff. I not a hope in hell would I ever want to be a forward in fifteens. So they get absolutely beasted, respect, like let alone being a front rower. Like, but. Yeah, the forwards just get—they obviously the amount of collisions per game, the amount of rucks they have to hit, and then they've got scrum and stuff, and and then they get bollocked if they're not kick chasing hard enough. So it's incredible.
1: <laughs> they're um, different—they're different kind of blokes. I like, think we'll be going out. For like units and they're doing live mauling, just like whacking into each other on like a Monday morning. It's freezing cold. It's just looks absolutely hanging. <laughs> you get get get
2: the body warmth. Get the body warmth, Marcus. Get close, get physical. It's nice. Get in there. That's what the radiator's there for, mate. Get my feet up
4: beautiful. <laughs> In that, and me, me and Rocco are playing rock, paper, scissors to, get hit, to see who gets to wear the gloves for the session.
0: <laughs> Boys, that begs the question, why 15s? What's the motivation to go and play 15s? You know, especially looking at your two skill sets, surely you want to be jetting around the world to the most exotic locations and having loads of space on the field to humiliate people with a bit of footwork and speed. So what is the drive? To go and play 15s over sevens?
4: I'll, I'll stop you there. I, I never humiliated someone on a, on a sevens pitch. It was definitely the other way around. I was sort of just trying to keep up with play. Um, There's no room for your humility in 7th heaven, Rory.
3: You and Marcus, two of the best, best players out there being defenders. We'll leave it at that.
1: Like,
4: obviously, Marcus is different and stuff. But uh, yeah, I'd obviously never done a 15s environment before um, professionally. So it was something that was always in the back of my mind when I was in the sevens. If I got the opportunity, then I I wanted to give it a go. um, And it just happened. It came into play having having done three years, which which I absolutely loved at the sevens and Bath managed to come up with the opportunity. So yeah, I, I I kind of, I wanted to give it a try. If it didn't work, it didn't work. But I think I'd be kicking myself at the end of my career if I if I hadn't sort of taken it, if it was there.
3: Was that always in the back of your mind because you grew up playing 15s and growing up in this country where 15s is the bigger game, do you think?
4: Uh, no, I think if you'd asked me asked me in my first first or second year at the 7s I think I was considering it as as wanting to try and stay in there as long as possible and, and make it into a uh, a full-length career but yeah it was it was more I, th- I guess timings of it all I obviously we'd done 3 years in the world series we we had an awesome year in my second year where we where we missed out on 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 coming number one to South Africa, um, and then we'd also managed to get the three major tournaments in in the sevens in the sevens players calendar, which is the Olympics, Commonwealth, and World Cup. So, I'd I'd kind of done everything there was in the sevens in terms of tournament wise. And you know, if 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 I had failed in Bath and and hadn't sort of kicked on, then I'd, I knew having chatted with Simon, like the door the door was still open if if I wanted to come back.
1: Uh, um, for me, I think it was probably a little bit different. I think when, sort of like Mitch said, growing up, I'd always enjoyed watching sevens. But at the time, I don't think there was an option for it to even be full-time anyway. So I don't think it was really sort of in, in my head. It was more like play 15s. And if you get picked for the sevens then you, you, for a sevens tournament, you can go do that. But there was no sort of central contracts. And I remember I was at London Irish Academy. I then um went to like london welsh on loan for for a game and then ben ryan sort of called me up and i tried to do the year after i tried to do like a a dual contract 15s and sevens kind of a bit like it was when i was younger um that really didn't work out very well i've been i've been released from i went to saracen's for one year uh doing that and sevens i got released from saris and instead of trying to look for another 15s club i was like look i I'll play sevens for a bit and then try and sort of go back. So it was always kind of a bit of a plan for me. If it worked out, I'd end up going back. Um, And then it just so happened in those two years, the Olympics was announced, or sevens was announced in the Olympics. And after that, I was like, look, I'll I'll definitely try and sort of make that and and see if I can do 15s after. Do you think that'd be different, like growing
3: up for kids now that sevens is a full-time career? Or do you think it's still too small for like young lads? and girls playing in this country to see that as a you know that's what i want to do is my career play seven
1: i I don't think so because when i was younger all i remember is watching when i was watching rugby or 15 sorry i'd look at certain people so i remember watching jason robinson and then like in sevens you people used to know ben gollings it was that sort of thing i feel like there's a lot more sevens players now that are that are more sort of well known for for kids to sort of look look out for and look up to and i think that would just encourage some boys to potentially just want to do sevens now that especially with the with it now being in the olympics uh, it'd be interesting to see it's
2: interesting you mentioned the olympics um rose and marcus you both obviously went to the last one uh like a two-part kind of question one of the people from the public said, like, firstly, what was your favourite memory from the last, like, Olympic cycle? Uh, and then secondly, uh, from Paco Hernandez, the Spanish captain, are you coming back for this Olympics, he wants to know?
4: I, I guess, I guess there's, like, people would think the obvious, the obvious good memory from the last Olympics w- was getting that silver medal. But I think, I think I've chatted to a few of the boys since, and they've said similar things. The, the, the build-up to it over those, sort of, that three months... After the World Series um, ended, and then there was 30 of us in camp, all basically going for those final 12 spots. I think th- that was some of the best sort of best few months of, of my rugby career, definitely. I think kicking it off with Moscow, we were terrible in the tournament. Literally, there's the best people in in the United Kingdom playing for each other against um, Lithuania, and we're getting pumped or something <laughs> on, on some. Camp. Bloody
3: good court session, if I remember though, led by uh, you, Chippy, wasn't
4: it? Yeah, <laughs> hell of a court session. Um, but that was the thing. Like after that, um, we had that huge lock-in in the Irish bar in the middle of Moscow, um, <laughs> and it sort of it, it set the standard for the next for the next few weeks. Not alcohol wise, I don't think I touched it after that. But then it, it was just it was such a good way of coming together. Um, right up until sort of the end of the olympic process I, I think it was just such an awesome three months to be about to be involved with and i guess yeah answering paco's question um i chatted with simon about a year ago just about what the timings and stuff were and next year it's all thrown up we know that but um like this year it was never never really going to work in terms of that 15s to sevens crossover I know marcus had more time In terms of he came in for the Twickenham tournament, and then we had that 12-week build-up period. But this year it was, I think, six weeks after the final Premiership game. That's when the Olympics were going to happen. So it was it was never going to work timing-wise to to try and get that sort of base fitness up. Aren't you busy
3: next summer anyway, Rose? You're going to be away, aren't you, next summer? (laughs) In that nice red kit.
1: Um, but you know when you ask that question you know the first thing that came into my head about the Olympics and I don't know why is Rory's interview the day after <laughs> <laughs> it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen go on Marcus for the people who haven't seen it <laughs> right so obviously it was um, you know it was an amazing day the day before getting the sort of getting the silver medal um, and uh, you know, to be fair two memories the, the, the second one I remembered was just staring, sort of, at the middle on the podium, seeing your parents and all that. That was a pretty special occasion. But then, yeah, then the day after, we had our celebrations in the evening and uh, we, had a, we had a pretty good night. And I think Rory and Phil Burgess um, had an interview at like 6 a.m. And uh, it was on the BBC, wasn't yeah. it? Was it BBC? Uh, I don't know what it was. It, it appeared on someone like
4: Coventry Live in the end. They're they probably I think it's still edit. on their website.
1: <laughs> and um, they're getting sort of asked questions, and and Burge looks absolutely fine. Like he, he's kind of managed to get himself together. Rory looks absolutely hammered. He gets asked this question, and he's just sitting there, just like shaking his head, being like, it's, just,
3: just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Roz, give us a give us a little uh, impression of what you're oh, like. Yeah, <laughs> Go on,
1: Rory. I can't remember what you said, but it was just so. But you kept repeating the same thing. I kept on saying, um, I think in
4: my in my head, sort of like I, w- I was on my island as I thought I was. Um, I was on my safe zone, and all I could remember was um Simon saying we have to adapt to everything in the process so whatever question I was thrown at I must have used the word adapt about three or four times in the sentence and then she was asked, like the the reporter asked asked a question about um how good it was the team and what we're we gonna what we're gonna like how we're we gonna inspire people back home and I've literally just talked about myself for two minutes after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't watch that. People have been, people have <laughs> sent to me since. I sort of watched like 30 seconds of it and I, I, I'd die inside. I can't, it's so cringe.
1: <laughs> I save it every time it comes up.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh,
2: that is funny.
0: You talk about that like, team. Oh, sorry, Chip. Now you go, mate. No, 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 you go. I couldn't see you because you were frozen. You go, mate. These two are constantly clashing lads on the pod below. <laughs> we've, had, we've, had, we've, had, we've had a bit of a rough week, actually. Real alphas. Buzzi's been crying and pulling his hair out. Which, as you can imagine, is a risky business with a lid like mine. Now you go, Buzzi. I've lost my track. I was, I was going to ask, you mentioned about the team building in Moscow. What is it that a lock in and a court session just nothing rivals it when it comes
4: to team bonding. Yeah, and you get you get the most honest out of people. You see people sort of not real characters, but you they like let their defences down a bit. And like we were all sat, uh, I don't think we were all sat like next to a person from a different country. Um, the top table was it Chip, Mark Robertson, Cubby. Is there anyone else? Just you yeah. three. Um, obviously, three, chippy yeah. judge, three, yeah. um, but no, it was yeah, it was it was just class. Like I think we were there there for about eight o'clock until about I don't know two two o'clock in the morning. Mitch puts car behind the bar, and it was just all, all you can <laughs> drink. It was incredible.
1: We, we've had some pretty decent ones, to be fair. Actually, it was like we've got like a social committee that um, organised some good ones, and we've had our Christmas one is, is pretty, is pretty quality. We get sort of split into groups and we get like this box that the captain's not allowed to open. And we've all got to try and we've all got checkpoints and you get certain points for certain things. So there was like, you get, um, you get hundred points if you get a tattoo, all that kind of stuff. And the team with the most points at the end, um, team with the most points at the end wins. Well, I, a real, a real tattoo. Yeah. A real tattoo. And you've got to like meet up in this Wonderland and, uh, and um, then all the points are like, added up, and uh, we've done that two years in a row, and it, it was it's quality, it's so good. Has anyone actually got a tattoo? Yeah, two. I, I got one. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Did any idiot actually get a tattoo?
1: It was <laughs> like, the luckiest thing because I had no idea about uh, me. I, we played me and one of the boys, Simon McIntyre, played rock, paper, scissors just to get one. I was like, "Look, I'll just get it on the bottom of my foot. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really care." Um, the guy was just like, uh, "We can't give you a tattoo. You guys are too drunk." But we ended up convincing him, and I just got a triangle on the bottom of my foot, which was so random. But like three weeks later, four weeks later, it just gone. I don't know if the guy was just like look these guys are probably too steven I'm just going to give him like a little fake tattoo and make him happy did it with a biro yeah <laughs> like, exactly and then, but one of the other boys there was only two of us that did one of the other boys got his initials tattooed on his hip and it looks terrible <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Marcus, it's it's been all um, all change at Wasps this season. Like, how has that been? Like, uh, with Dai Young going, obviously you've had some glory years with him over the past couple of years, and like he's kind of who for me he's like brought Wasps back to where they were. And then obviously it's not gone so well at the start of the season with him leaving. What's it been like? And how's it been? Is it like cause obviously one of the senior players there, like talk to us about the whole setup of Wasps at the moment?
1: Um, yeah, there's not been like a there's not been a massive change because. Sort of Lee Blackett was doing a lot of the coaching anyway, really. So I think things are probably a tiny bit more player-led, maybe. And I, I think just the way that we're playing at the moment, we're we're playing with a lot more freedom, and you know that's kind of shown in in some of our performances. I think for us, obviously, this no, this not great timing for anyone, coronavirus and, and being quarantined. But in terms of performances, we were uh, we were on a bit of a roll and playing pretty well. Not no one no one ever wanted to sort of see see diego, but um, but I think just our momentum since since uh sort of there's been a bit more sort of player layers, um, has been, been pretty good, and we're playing a lot of sort of free flowing rugby like the kind of the wasps of old really.
2: Sometimes it takes like a bump in the road for teams to come together, um, especially with like a head coach going um with all this coronavirus going on and things not going to plan for everyone. Um, like, you know, with the salary reductions and everything, is that, do you reckon that'll bring the teams like, closer together? Like, as a bond, Like you've all had to take like a cut and you've all been in like, the shit a bit. So when you come back, do you reckon the team will be playing well or do you reckon it'll halt some people's momentum or how do you
1: think that'll affect everyone? Uh, it'll be interesting. I think people will react, react differently. But one thing I definitely know is that I'm pretty sure the boys will all be pretty buzzing to get most teams will be pretty happy to just get back together you know everyone's sort of been been indoors for a month now and people are sort of messaging on the group looking forward to sort of getting back as a team so um i don't think i, I can only probably you know speak for myself but in terms of it, the money thing i don't think that will affect um i don't think that will affect boys playing too much you know when boys get back to playing i think uh I think everyone would be pretty, pretty happy. And then obviously the money
0: will hopefully come back to normal after that. Exactly. Can I just ask about the die young thing again, Marcus? Because it fascinates me that one man departs, but by and large, the rest of the infrastructure remains the same. Like Lee Blackett's now head coach and much of the backroom staff are going to be the same. However, the change was instantaneous. Uh, so how can just one man going but you know the not wholesale changes be made make such a big impact?
1: I think like Chippy said, you kind of see it quite a lot in sports, to be honest. Like it's not necessarily that one person, it's just kind of the boys maybe getting together a little bit more just because, you know, it's almost like a, a big wake-up call that look, if if the top guy's sort of going, something's I mean, obviously we can see in results things weren't going well, but I think um it kind of gathers uh the troops a little bit more as such and like and uh we just sort of realized that we really need to, to get our stuff together and I think we managed to do that and we kinda of had some real honest meetings as soon as sort of die had gone and we we talked about sort of the way we we want to play and and things like that and pretty much what kind of came back from everyone was we we wanted to play like wasps from playing sort of three years ago when when um you know Dai die was in charge of doing exactly sort of what we're doing now and it's worked pretty well for us. It's pretty good, actually. I'm London Irish's stadium
0: announcer, and I had the pleasure of watching you guys pump us, actually, uh, at the the Day. So you scored that day, didn't you, Marcus?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did, actually. <laughs> you
0: forgot <that>. yeah. Guilty. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what about you, Ross? Because there's a bit of, well, there has been a bit of change at Bath with Todd Blackadder going and Stuart Hooper now taking the reins. In fact, particular to you, Todd Blackadder would have signed you, wouldn't he? Um, so what's it what's it like the guy signing you then leaving and a new coaching regime coming in? Do you feel that you've got to then prove yourself again?
4: Uh, no, I, I guess although Todd was obviously he's he's the one that signs it off and stuff. Um, Hoops was still very much involved, and in, he I think he was he had a head of performance and a bit of a like a recruitment role back then. Um, so I did a bit of speaking with him before I signed, and then obviously spoke to Todd when I came and visited and, and Daz Edwards, but you know, like it helped with me having Dan Cooper, the analyst here that also was at the sevens. Um, so he was sort of my point of contact. Um, so I guess it's not necessarily about trying to prove, prove yourself again. Um, Gerv Dempsey is still, is still the backs coach um, and head of attack for us. So it's, it's still the same people that I work with. I never really worked with Toddie. So yeah, it it doesn't change much for me. It's it's exciting um, with this new coaching with this new coaching group. Um, obviously goes with the attack but So Neil Hatley coming back from England duty, he's added like uh, so much energy to to the forwards and our and our defensive stuff. So yeah, it's it's more exciting just to just to see how this how this new coaching group grows as a unit and then um, actually gets a full proper preseason and, and season behind them uh, that isn't sort of disrupted.
2: One
1: night in heaven, one night one night heaven. You
4: mentioned uh, briefly in that, like the England style. And before we
3: go and talk a bit more about that and the World Cup and stuff, has your role at Bath changed uh, since you obviously you're still relatively new there, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, but uh, your experiences are vast and you know, all three of us, or all of us know what you can offer. Uh, so since you've come back from kind of World Cup duties, England stuff, has your role with the club changed at all?
4: Um, I guess as a player definitely not but maybe maybe behind the scenes doing a bit more a bit more leadership stuff like I feel like I've got sort of broad experiences of things um, in terms of 7s and 15s now and it's obviously last year it was all so new to me but yeah this year's sort of a bit more leadership stuff and it's not necessarily on the rugby front it could be on stuff behind the scenes at the club and the goings on and, and how we can sort of get better as a as a whole squad and, and management rather than just rather than just playing uh, and and my, my thoughts on the playing side of things. Because I think that was
3: one of the things that Eddie Jones was very vocal about with you in the England setup was the value you added. He obviously thought you're a pretty shit player because he kept saying how much value you added to the squad
4: <laughs> with the off-field yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Good on a fun. <laughs> on a fun. So it's what you need, really, isn't it? Um, no, oh, it was, it was funny actually. I think uh, my housemate's mum was at uh, Eddie like a Q and A Q&A that he did post World Cup, and I think she like asked a question on me, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, Rory's not the most talented, but he works really hard." <laughs> but no, no, it's, I've, I, I've I've always like enjoyed the whole whole aspect behind behind playing rugby, not just the playing side of things. So if it means that you've got a role to to help the team off the pitch and make sure everyone's doing the right things and that's that that I'm happy to happy doing that role. Um and yeah, with with the England things, I, I just sort of I've made it a a point um going in knowing that it could it could only last a week. I was going to make the most out of every occasion that we we did, whether it was training or or socializing off the pitch. So I kind of I tried to do everything as as much as possible. Is that been? Is that a kind of
3: driving uh, like attitude, motivation that you've always carried throughout each element of your career? And do you think that's part of the reason you've been so successful in different areas?
4: Um, yeah, it's definitely been a big motivation behind behind what I what and why I do everything. I think, um, obviously, coming into it so late and so like unexpectedly, um, coming on board with the sevens at. What well, I think it was 24. Um, but I never, never dreamed I would do anything like it. So it was, it was always from that point, it was just making the most out of every occasion because you see how quickly boys can end their careers and, and, and some of the struggles that some boys go through after, after ending it. So it's, it's not going to last a lifetime. So I'm definitely trying to make the most out, out of everything we can whilst we do, whilst we're in the job we are.
2: You talk about um, how you came into the sevens. Obviously, Marcus, your route up through—you um, did age grades, didn't you? Um, and then Rose, you were—you were at uni and playing at Hartbury and Uneaton. Um What? Um, what's up the like? The What's for you? Like what's the benefit like Marcus, what's the benefit of like playing the age grades? Like picking up through that way and then like going up through academies and then like positives and negatives of that. And then Rose, same as for you, like what's what do you think the benefits for you were going through uni and going it going it that way?
1: Um yeah, I think positives probably from from an age group side of things. I think, you know, I played um I think the first time I sort of put on an English show was under sixteens and and uh to be honest, I hadn't really thought about it too much before that. Like I kind of was just playing, enjoying rugby, playing sort of county, and then uh managed to sort of get through all the different stages. But I'd say it, it taught me it taught me quite a lot because it was I think after sixteens it was a bit more high pressure because I I wasn't really expecting too much. I just kind of was enjoying rugby going to all these trials obviously I was a bit nervous for the trials but like you know I hadn't really thought too much about sort of playing for England or getting selected for England at that time I was just playing trying to get past each stage so sort of as you get to sort of 18s 20s you end up sort of getting putting quite a lot of pressure on yourself in, in a good and bad way because you you're playing against obviously a lot of different countries went to sort of the 20s World Cup it puts you in a pretty good position to sort of play professional rugby to be honest but I think another good thing is um, sort of my age group. There's I think nearly nearly half of them have all are all in that sort of World Cup squad that were with War- Rory. Um, you know, we had sort of Owen Farrell, JJ, Mac, Over, Napolo, quite a few. You know, 50 cap players, over 50 cap players. At that at that time, when you're young, you don't realise how good they are, and then you kind of now you yeah. looking back, being like, I was actually surrounded by some pretty unbelievable players. And you're obviously trying to sort of be at that level the whole time, and it just pushes you the whole time. Like sort of being being around good players ends up, you know, pushing you to sort of be better. So it definitely helped in terms of that.
4: My route, um, as I guess you and you and Mitch would would testify to as well, is that I I sort of had a life before before rugby, which which was class. Um, like did four years at uni, which I absolutely loved. Did a year out, Gap Yard, um, over in New Zealand, which again, managed to do New Zealand and Australia. love that as well. So I wouldn't change it for the world. I think um, the fact that I, I came in so late has probably made me appreciate things more. And sort of almost being like a super rugby fan up until the age of 24 and then I ended up being a rugby player by mistake so yeah it's I I loved I loved the journey I loved doing like the social life at uni and then the traveling aspect and and also I guess I didn't have that pressure from 16 years old that a lot of these guys do going through the academies desperate to get a junior academy contract then get a senior academy and then try and try and make that um jump into the first team squad where a lot of them are like a lot of them won't make it, and sort of uh, are told from a young age they're going to be the next big thing, and probably unfairly so, um, have their tyres massively pumped up by everyone around them, and then to sort of fall short at maybe 18 or 19, suddenly they're thinking, well, what else? What else do I do? And I think that's where you see a lot of boys struggle for a few years after that. So I'm I'm very fortunate and very happy that I I did the route that I did.
2: Marcus, is there anyone? Is like, a question from the public uh, from underscore twatter? <laughs> I don't want to say his name too slowly because it's a bit rude. Um, <laughs> is there anyone who missed out on age grade that you thought when you were playing with him like you thought these this guy's class and he's going like, to set the world on fire but then ne- never really kicked on?
1: Yeah, first name that comes to my head under 16s there was a guy called Reuben Hale who's a winger. I think, I'm, I'm not sure who he plays for now but he was in the Gloucester Academy. He was massive and rapid and um, at under 16s I think he scored about eight, nine tries just in the sort of was it a Six Nations tournament? I can't remember, but in, in sort of four games, he, he carved up um, and looked already set for men's rugby. But I think it was just one of those cases where he was sort of developed already and people kind of ended up catching up. So just summing up a few of these things then, boys, you've both been in different environments, including
3: the Sevens. If you were going to say you could wave a magic wand and kind of change the way that academies are done and, and the kind of development of young players, whether that's in clubs or using the sevens game, what would you do? What needs to change? What would be different?
4: Um, I definitely firstly link every academy up to a uni and and have all the boys um, get a degree alongside it and and be almost be part time rugby players, part time students rather than full time rugby players expected to get a degree as well. I think they've got they've got to have that life experience. I think it makes makes it all so much more fun. Um, like you chat to any of the the academy boys um at bath that are, that are involved with the uni team they absolutely love the the uni life and and the social life and you know if, if they at the end of the day if they're good enough and and motivated enough they're going to make it
0: i've uh, i can testify to a good night out in bath with the uni lads i uh, had a big tear up with tom Doughty uh about a year ago who's in bath at bath with you Rose. Yeah. After commentate after commentating on one of the Bucks games, I woke up in <laughs> Bristol. <laughs> where where in Bristol did you wake up,
3: Benzie?
0: Well, I commentated on this student game at the wreck, uh, bar against Lee Beckett. <laughs> and uh went for went for like one pint with the boys and just got completely sucked into the social and stuff like that. And before I'd known it, I'd seen off so many pints I couldn't drive my car back to London. So I well, just I abandoned it. it, abandoned it and went out. And someone's like, yeah, yeah, you can stay at mine. And um and yeah, I woke up in Bristol the next morning. It's so, like, God,
3: mm. where's my car? Marcus. Marcus sorry for Bernsey's uh, tragic interview. <laughs> um, have you got any thoughts about restructuring the kind of the pathway for young boys and how Sevens fits into that, maybe?
1: I spoke about this the other day, actually, and I think the way you if you look at if you look at the way sevens is used in New Zealand's probably the best example um over the last like couple of years. You look at that England setup, and the only person that I can think of, really, that's that's played sevens is Rory. I can't really think of anyone else in that England age group, in, in that England team that's that's played sevens. But there's definitely some boys in there that would be pretty good at sevens. And then you look at the New Zealand team, and half their forwards have even played sevens, or or some of their back rows, and there's definitely a place where you can, in the academy system, I think there's definitely a place for sevens as well, especially for back three players. You look at someone like Rico Yuani, who um, was seven, 17, I think, or maybe even 16, playing against us in a Wellington final. And he's not played any sort of super rugby or anything like that. He's pretty much gotten straight from school. And then people, two years later, people are talking about, you know, whether the Lions should attack him because he's not sort of been in any of these high pressure environments, but the guy's been 17 or 16 playing in front of a fully packed Wellington stadium in in a home crowd. He's got that experience under his belt. Obviously it's not probably not the same as playing for the lions, but what other sort of 16, 17 year old has been under that pressure before and performed well. Part of that experience in
3: that Wellington final was him basically beating our whole team. Obviously as a, as a diligent sweeper, I ushered him into the corner to make the conversion harder. And he, like, scored it, turned around, threw the ball up right in front of my face. So I've given him the... Who the fuck does this guy think he is? Not knowing that he was going to go on to be the next big thing. Um, He's, like, 17 years old. He's just, like, staring me in the face. And I was just like, fuck, I'd love to smack him. He you know, the fact they
1: were, they were beating us by, like, four tries at the time yeah. as well. So rattled. I remember speaking to Norse before the game, being like, mate, this kid's 17. He's, like... In my head, I remember sort of thinking, I was like, I'm just gonna get stuck into this guy, like just not not sort of saying anything. I'm not really much, I don't really chat much on a pitch or anything like that. But I remember being like, he's just not gonna be that good. I'm gonna make like after this game, like um, confident going into the game, being like, I'm gonna get one up on this young kid that everyone's talking about. And then you skip 10 minutes later and there's me looking up at the replay board. He's fling, he's grabbed my shirt, thrown me about five metres and scored on the (laughs) post. I'm there just like, right, I think I need to just quickly reassess the situation and get back into the game. (laughs) Freakishly strong for a young lad, wasn't he? Unbelievable mate it was a joke I think he stepped
2: he stepped breaky twice didn't he in that (laughs) he
1: could step breaky breaky
2: loop back round stepped him again
1: (laughs) Badgering his way to the touchline trying to catch him
0: (laughs) 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 Ross I want to ask I want to ask you about the World Cup got to talk about England how did it all come out talk us about the moment you got the call up from Eddie were you expecting it had you been a little bit prepped for it and then just tell us about the journey with England. I know that you've probably regaled this a million times, but we'd love to hear it—the X-rated version.
4: <laughs> yeah, not not the media, not the media version—the Seventh Heaven version. <laughs> seventh Heaven. Um, so yeah, it was. I obviously had a had a good second half of the season last year. Um, uh, it was sort of coming into May, and as I remember having a chat at the beginning of May with Daz Edwards, our, our old backs coach, and he just said to me, he was like, "And I, I know England have been asking um, as a potential for maybe th- like the Barbarians game," and I was like, "Oh, that like that'd be awesome," um, and that that was the only thing I'd heard um, until until I actually got the call. So I, that was at the beginning of May. Ended up playing for the rest um, until the end of the season. And then it was, so the day after our last game of the season, it was our, it was our, actually our social, um, our end of season social. And we're on, we're on the platform, on the platform at Bath, just about to go into Bristol to do a, a similar thing that Marcus, um, Marcus and the Wasps boys do. So different teams doing different challenges. Um, we have fancy dress. I was—I may have been in fancy dress um, as as Talk to us. Talk uh, to us. Lord Voldemort. Right? <laughs> why have you
2: still got your costume on now?
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I got this text from a number I didn't have, just saying, "It's Eddie Jones. Here. Give me a ring." And I was like, "Hmm." Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, so I sort of, I didn't tell. As I was chatting. I was walking next to Zach Mercer at the time. I didn't tell him why. I just said, he type this name number into your phone," and he typed it, and obviously it came up with with Ellie's number. So I gave him a ring back, and he basically just said, "Like you're in for camp in five weeks' time, so just come in and, and be yourself and and do whatever." So yeah, that that was it really, and that, it was like a thirty-second conversation, and then I went and did the. The bar social after that sort of heart racing and stuff you
3: must have been absolutely
4: buzzing for that night yeah yeah it was it, it was it was awesome it was um we were the boys definitely knew um because i think zach had said and so they saw me on the phone and saw like my reaction afterwards and then yeah got into camp and as i said before it was literally as simple as i knew people would be coming and going at the end of each week so I was going to try and make the most of it, and like whether it was a fitness session, trying to smash that as uh, and let's sort of be at the front of that, or or whether it was trying to get to know as many people there to try and make like not be sucked into just being in my comfort zone and uh, and staying around the bath boys. So, mate,
3: what were those first? What was that very first moment? So I'm imagining was it Penny Hill, right? Talk me through those um, first few moments because knowing you, like people who don't know you, you're a massive rugby fan like you would have known more about the players than they knew about themselves. So talk us through like that first couple of moments when you first
4: bowled out. (laughs) Um, I was, I, I think I've parked at Penny Hill. The first thing I was, I was desperate to try and find someone from someone from Bath because I, I just, it like I'm awkward enough as it, as it is, but trying to find, yeah, someone, a rugby player that I'd never met before. And then, trying to introduce myself, I was like, not a chance. I was trying to find someone from Bath and or someone I knew just to talk me through what the process was because I hadn't I didn't have a clue. Like I didn't know where we were meant to meet. Um boys seemed to just park up, take their bags straight to a room, um, but I couldn't see which room they're in. So I was sort of like shimming around Penny Hill um reception, waiting to see someone I knew to ask ask where to go. And then and then we went upstairs into the main room um sort of meet and greet like probably everyone. Maybe, to be fair, it might be me, me, Lewis Ladlam. Maybe uh, Jack Singleton had been in a barbells environment, so he'd been in an England environment already. Um, and maybe one other that sort of had never sort of met anyone else before, before then, apart from their own club mates. So I was basically just introducing myself to everyone. Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the first first thing eddie said to me i think he called me ryan so i was oh this is a great start (laughs) and then then yeah literally it was just team uh get get with someone in a room get get a room with someone that you don't know i I went with brown get
3: get get with someone in a room that is a that's a strange way of team building
4: little little, little initiation um (laughs) No, like yeah, pick a roommate that you don't know. So Mike Brown, I was like, right, he's the most experienced back three here, and definitely, definitely want to learn off him. And
2: now look what you've done to him! Now look what you've done to him!
4: <laughs> you are a bad man, Rory. Yeah. Taking scalps. <laughs> nah, but it, it, it was great. They're like everyone was, everyone was very easy to to get to know, and they'd sort of made a point um as a team of of trying to be sort of the closest England squad there ever was. Like in the past there was definite divisions throughout the squad and they wanted to um sort of togetherness to be a big a big sort of value of, of that squad going forward and 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 to be fair it was and um it it showed when we were out there I think I think we could have if we'd lost in the quarterfinals it still would have been an incredibly memorable few months. Um and, and would have absolutely loved it. And it just so happened that we we got all the way to a final and, yeah, lost out on the day. But it was, I think, uh, who was it? I think Sam Underhill said, I think he, he wasn't going to sort of let 80 minutes of rugby um, determine how much fun he had in sort of those five or six months leading up to that. So, and that's it's definitely something that was, yeah, close to my heart in terms of it was, it was just such a memorable experience. And to be, to be out there uh, with the best of them was, was awesome.
2: Blowed away with that, Rory. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that. that.
0: Uh, what's it what's it like playing under Eddie?
4: Um, you know, it's 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 not too bad. It, he's the the one thing that you said to me at the start was like you've been you've been picked um for all the good things you've done this year. Like don't don't feel like you have to be anything else. Um, you know, we we want you to do what you've been doing um up to this point. Um so that like it was it was a big confidence boost that he didn't I didn't come in and he was like right I want you to work on this this and this it was um we just want you to do what what you've been doing well um so it's like he is he he demands a lot from you but I I don't understand why maybe people from from the outside see that as an issue like you want to be you want to be the best you can be um and England want to be the best team in the world and And that's what we strive to do every sort of training session. And maybe it put me in good stead from coming from the sevens where obviously Simon drilled us pretty hard and, um, you know, we had to work very well. I had to work very hard for three years, some people for longer. And it put me in good stead going into that camp.
0: Do you look back uh, a little with an element of frustration with your injury ways through that period though?
1: Yeah, there is a bit of uh,
4: frustration, obviously, I could have made, yeah, I could have made my debut for England um, at Twickenham against Wales. Like that's that's a hell of a debut to make, and would have been incredible. Sort of having someone like George North as your opposite man in, in your debut is 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 something of dreams. But it, like it doesn't always it doesn't always happen that way. And who knows? I might have played that in, in that game and and had a terrible game, and then selection being on the Monday afterwards might have might have been completely different. So. Um, it, it just you know it was it was a poor timed injury I think the second one hurt more um, as it was the second in two weeks um, and it was it was in it was the last bit of captain's run before playing Wells at Millennium and like you're playing at Twickenham's obviously the place you want to make your debut but the next stadium on the list I don't think there's any atmosphere like there is at the Millennium Stadium so that was something that I was really looking forward to and sort of the host hostile environment they have there was something that sort of genuinely excited me, but obviously that wasn't to be either. So that, I think that those 48 hours afterwards were, were pretty dark. Um, I I remember texting one of the sevens boys, AJ Davis, and just having a chat to him as he obviously had a similar scenario in Rio, but, um, it was, it was sort of getting out of that and realizing how I could still influence the squad and, and actually, being down in the dumps, isn't going to do anything. And I still wanted to push forward and, and, and try and see if I could make my debut and if I didn't, I was, I was still in a squad that was going to the world cup, which was, which was awesome. Was
3: that after your, the first or second time you missed out, uh, cause you got injured there, were, uh, you don't have to share this now. So don't, if you don't want to, but you, you told me about a nice, quite touching moment you had with a couple of the other boys in the, in the 15 squad think after that session where you got injured.
4: Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was the second time. It was after captain's run. I sort of, it was literally the second last move. We ran as backs before the end of captain's run. Um, and I've just pushed off, pushed off, um, from a sort of standing start and I've just felt my hammy go and I've, I've done it before. So I knew, I knew instantly that, that it it had gone. I didn't know how bad, but, um, I'd sort of gone to see the physio and like been just angry and stuff. And I think when he was testing it, I knew again, and I was just, just sort of miserable. So we'd walked over, he was like, it's all right. So don't worry about it. And like, we'd walked over to the bench at the other end of the pitch and, um, I think I'd sat down, JJ was sat there, I sat down next to JJ and like literally, I was sort of like hard, half welling up and half sort of just re- just so angry um, and gutted that it had happened. And then uh, Manu, Genji and, and Sinks came along and like that's three three boys from completely different clubs that I'd never met before until a few, sort of a, a month or two before that. And uh, they obviously knew what like that it wasn't good and sort of as soon as like Manu sort of like gave me a hug I just burst into tears and was like crying and like he literally just kept on hugging me until I stopped crying and that was it and then chatting like Genji next to me Sinks next to me was it was just it was very ha- helpful at the time I think it could have been it's uh it's obvious to say like comfort someone, but it could have been very easy for them to get a bit awkward and not know what to say and just sort of held off. But it was, yeah, it was, it was very handy at the time. And, uh, definitely something i like, like. I remember, um, yeah, from, from the, from the dark 48 hours.
3: Right lads, I want to bring it back to sevens. Cause I know that still holds a big bit of your heart both of you. Just before we go into some of your, your prem sevens teams that you've chosen. Just casting your minds back, like, what are some of the best times you had when in your times with Sevens? I know we've already talked about the Olympics, so maybe outside of that, um, Marcus, I know yours is probably the first time we met when I first came into training camp. So I've, I've rocked up pretty nervous for my first um, week of Sevens training. Uh, I've gone in there. I think Alex Davis was was one of the others and another guy called Marcus, and uh Obviously, AJ is a few years younger than me. This other guy was a few years younger than me. I think they were both 17 when they rocked up. <laughs> Marcus has loved me in the same boat, thinking that I'm still doing my A-levels. I'm actually coming out of my third year of uni at the time. And kind of Marcus doesn't realize this and just talked me through the whole day like I was a 17-year-old, just fresh out of school. It was very sweet, but I did feel a little bit kind of, uh, it, it wasn't demeaning. You were very sweet, Marcus, but
1: a couple of days later, when you're like, oh i thought you were still in school mate i remember how it happened and i remember walking back and like you said i I just remember talk proper talking to you like a school kid you know asking how things were and stuff and then i was like i think i said like so mate when when like when when's your a levels and you were like uh mate i'm at uni and i was like look at
4: you because i've
3: always looked so fresh-faced isn't
2: it yeah it's true that is true And you're built like a 17-year-old. <laughs>
1: that
0: was for Do you want to do these Prem Sevens, boys?
3: I was waiting for the boys to give me some of their fondest
4: memories of Sevens, Fernsey. Oh, sorry. We got sidetracked because Mitch just decided to tell us about his famous memories.
3: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. If you want to go back to your World Cup spiel, we've we got time.
1: I'm trying to think of, of one on and off the pitch here. The one on the pitch, I remember Wellington... Well the year we won the tournament when we won Wellington was awesome because we'd had a really rough um season. We'd like bombed out pretty much every cup tournament before then. Um and then we went into extra time as well and everything in the final. And we're it? and thirteen. Yeah, Wellington we were getting well. booed horrifically in the crowd, which I was loving, and it was just it was awesome. Right.
4: Um yeah, probably on the pitch it has to be that that second year that i was there 2016 2017 year um Mm -hmm. where we came second in the world series and won cape town and vancouver i think just like it was such an enjoyable year um like on tour as well it wasn't just about winning like like we genuinely had so much fun on the tour itself and seeing these like Winning Cape Town um, was incredible because I think it was, was it, it was the first time in three seasons I think we'd won three seasons or two since, seasons
2: yes since the Tokyo one before
4: yeah um, and that was yeah obviously my first tournament win um, and a few boys first, first tournament win was yeah it was awesome um, and like beating South Africa in South Africa in a final like the the atmosphere in the stadium was just so cool and so loud. It was just, yeah, it was just awesome. And you scored left foot step on it. Yeah. Left foot step off, uh, Mitch trying to pull my hammies off a loop pass Been there. We've all been there, mate. <laughs> it was perfectly weighted just to
3: dip into your, um, shins.
4: <laughs> After Chippy's 60 meter, try 70 meter. Try.
2: I can't even okay, flashback now. I can't remember. Wrong. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about me. All right. What's the best try? Do you reckon you, you, you lad scored? Cause I'm sure yeah, you've that's reviewed one of the, um, that's That's like one of the fan questions as well. Dan Lawrence was asking that one.
4: Your favourite try. Uh, Oh, no. Yeah. Favourite try. um, Scotland in the quarterfinals in Dubai in Golden Point. Yeah. Okay. When you saw yeah, a big awesome. um, Joe in front of you, yeah, <laughs> and you were like, huh? "Ah!" Yeah.
2: <laughs> so for those um, for those who haven't, haven't seen it, it went to extra time. Um, it was like third minute into extra time. We've kept the ball going width, 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 uh, and it's come back to Rory. Um, this was after the GB camp, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, first tournament. Yes, back.
2: Uh, and he knew that. um, uh, Big Joe didn't have the big Joe didn't have the best engine, um, so he just put the hammer down and clocked to a top speed of twenty nine and just <laughs> cruised
4: down the outside of Joe. <laughs> big Joe's like, oh, struggle street. <laughs> no, it, it was awesome. It was obviously my my first experience of like a golden point game. Um, it was in Dubai. We'd lost to Scotland. Uh, Scotland knocked us out of Twickenham the yeah. summer before. They were that was I reckon their their best side. Well, obviously in the series, those those two years um I thought they were like there's some quality players. Um and then obviously we we'd scored. Mitch didn't kick the conversion because it was uh, there wasn't enough time and he'd chosen to do the restart instead. AJ's won it back and we've just gone side to side to side to side. Oh no, no, we lost it again. They kicked yeah. out and forgot to tap and kick. So the big, big J-Rob won the, yep. won the line out back. It was big old bitch. Um, and then, yeah, we've gone width to width. And, yeah, Matt literally managed to, managed to score in the end. I think my dad had a heart attack in the crowd because he wasn't sure he was supporting or not.
2: <laughs> Marcus, what about you? You scored that absolute silky, disgusting try against Leicester um, at Welford Road. Do you remember that one?
1: Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought we were talking sevens, were we? Or just in general?
3: In general, I think, mate. In general, but you must have—you scored so many tries in sevens. You must have one of those as well.
1: The one I remember really well was just my first one, and I think it was probably more just from like a bit of a relief point of view because I was nervous coming on, uh, playing against Scotland, and I got the ball, and I panicked hard because I was like, "If you kick, you got to score," and I kicked it. I had to just sprint it as fast as I could. And the ball bounced up lovely into my hands and um, scored under the post then. And then um, maybe the Japan one as well. And the Olympics was quite, I enjoyed that one. But actually, Mitch ended up having a go as well, which was stupid for me because there was three seconds left and I could have just chilled, waited for three seconds, put the ball down. And I dived in thinking I was some legend and was like, if they score here, I've ruined everything.
3: That was a trademark try, there wasn't it? Because that was that step, like that lateral step through the where there was no gap. That was unreal. I remember that.
1: Um, can I, I? I wanted the things off the pitch. I just thought of two things that were probably that just cracked me up. Really random stuff. So can you remember? I think both the same tournaments. We went out in um, PE, and uh, we all went to. I can't remember what the club was called, but everyone went to the club afterwards, right outside our hotel. There was only one club, wasn't there? Yeah, and Sam Edgeley was absolutely hammered. And, like, uh, there was a drive-thru <laughs> right by there, and Edge, like, kind of was like, look, please, I just want a burger. And they were like, look, we're not open, we're just doing drive throughs He was like, please, they were like, look, we can't do it. <laughs> so Edge revises his plan just on his own. And I come around the corner, and Edge is pretending to be in his car. And <laughs> Like, pulled up pulled up to the drive <laughs> like can I get two cheeseburgers please they were like mate piss off <laughs> and in that same tournament Jobby was so hammered um, he was trying to get the plane to stop the next day because he was so <laughs> trying to get the pilot to stop the plane I can't remember what I don't know why I remember those two but just cracked me up It's good that you've chosen two
3: lads aren't in the game at the moment as well, so you can tarnish their professional reputation. Tactical, because I've actually
1: got one from you that I can't say, mate. So yeah, we'll move on. (laughs) Right, on to
3: those Prem Sevens teams then,
1: boys. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of fun to,
0: to wrap things up is we asked you to have a little think before the pod about your Premiership Sevens dream team. So you can pick any player from any team We'll throw Newcastle in there as well because they've been promoted and we'll keep Saris in if you absolutely must. And what seven would make up your Premiership dream team? Who wants to kick it off?
4: Go on then. I'll, um, one of my four teams that I've picked, I have gone Toby out, Thomas Young and Joe thokin singer as my forwards. Solid. Uh, Easy. Uh, yeah, beefy. I, I just thought Toby's how like one of the best players in the world. Super skillful, can play probably play centre in the Premiership and still tear up. Thomas Young, one of the quickest back rows I've ever seen. Seriously good over the ball. And Marcus could probably save more, but really like a skillful player. And then um, Joe, he's big, he's for G, and you could just keep him on the wing. You can just Will you kick us for you. <laughs> Imagine Joe running at Norts. Like, Norts isn't going to want want anywhere near him. <laughs> and then this team is, I haven't picked me or Marcus, by the way. Obviously, we're coaches. Oh, oh, yeah, we yeah. make it, obviously. Who picks himself <laughs> in the
2: dream team, anyway? Who picks himself? Yeah, who, do,
4: who does that, A hey, Chip? <laughs> um, and then the backs, I've gone Dan Robson, Alex Gould, centres, I haven't decided. It's gonna to be Talusa Veyanu and then Johnny May on the wing. Ooh, Good team. Ayanu. Good team. Veanu would destroy teams, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was either him or Elliot Daly at center. I've, I've gone for Viani just because I think his feet are just ridiculous.
1: Um, lads, I've got a couple of half-time subs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've got a very similar front row, actually. So I've got Big Joe at prop. um, But I'm thinking Big Joe's a seven-minute man, and he's not 14. Ain't we all? Ain't we all? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got Sam Simmons coming off the bench for him. Yeah, we had him in ours. Yeah, I've got Thomas Young as well as my hooker. Exactly like Rory said, he's a freak of an athlete. He's rapid, good footwork. Unbelievable in the breakdown. He's going to be your your fetcher. And then I've gone for like a bit of a workhorse. Toby was a great shout. Toby but And I didn't think of Toby actually. I probably would have put him in. But I've gone Stephen Luetua. I'll probably have him maybe as a captain. Just your workhorse. He's going to be sort of your your line out guy. And your kickoff kickoff guy as well. Key
2: in a team that Marcus. How key is that to have that in a team? Do you know what I mean? You need it.
0: It's really important. See, Stephen Lutur. how old do you reckon Stephen Lutur is? I found this out this week. 42. <laughs> He's 28. I mean, tough, what? tough paper round, Steve.
1: 28. Uh, nine, Dan Robson was a good shout, but I've actually gone Ben Velicot, um, who boys might have not seen that much of, but he is ridiculous. He's got some of the best feet I've ever seen. He's a freak. I've seen him play sevens. I saw him playing in the... The Prem Sevens. Yeah. A
3: couple of years ago. And he tore up.
1: Mate, he's yeah. fit. He's fit. He's rapid. He's got good footwork. Um, I really struggled for a ten, actually, but then actually I didn't have to look very far. Jacob Umaga, he's your kicker as well. He's silky, silky. Um, good footwork, and he's got a hell of an engine. For center, I would have picked Charles out, but I was going I'm gonna pick boys that haven't played sevens. So then I've gone uh JJ or Anthony, I can't pick between the two. They're going to have to fight for that one. The javelin? Oh. Yeah, the ja- yeah, the javelin or long fingers in at centre. Um, oh, be a good brother and put, it, put Anthony in. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be tough between those two. JJ could play 10 as well, but then you're struggling for a kicker. I've really thought this through with the limits. Maybe seven seven minutes each? Yeah, uh, Yeah, seven minutes each. And then... On the wing, I've gone Johnny May or Toulouse of A lot of
0: people have been asking us, why hasn't Anthony played in the sevens? Do
1: you know, I asked him this when I was sort of, when he was sort of up and coming, like we talked about in the academy, um, while well, we talked about potentially when he was in the academy trying to come over. He just didn't. He said uh, he didn't want to do the fitness. He said he, some, he said he wasn't prepared for that at the time. But... Um, He'd be pretty good, to be honest.
2: He would be pretty good. He's also rangy. He'd be mega. I um, said, imagine you two playing together. Dangerous, that. Uh. I'd
0: love it, mate. I'd be buzzing. Lads, uh, Mitch, Chip, what were some of the other names that you thought of for this Prem 7 team? Because we had a bit of a chat about this before and some other names Benji's came up.
2: desperate to give his
4: team.
2: Rawls, what do you think g- about Ben Hill, mate? He'd be silky, mate. He's rapid, good over the ball. Another one I just thought of then when he said Newcastle. Sonotti, Sonotti.
4: Yeah, but he, he is not lasting a half, let alone a full game. No.
2: <laughs> Marcus, Marcus, what's Sonati, Cinotti, Sonati's fitness like?
1: Oh my <laughs> days, mate. He, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he is one of the biggest legends I've ever played with. He's so funny. And mate, when he's on... When he's, when he's switched on he is the best player one of the best players I've ever played with or I've ever seen he can do anything but he's hilarious man fitness wise he's probably close yeah he'd be down there at the bottom yeah i say that because <laughs> that's so we'll, 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 we'll count him out way anyway, he's said some of the funniest things I've ever like just the way his brain works cracks me up like we played we were playing Leicester and we were we it was a pretty close game we were playing Leicester away and he turns around to me in the sit in the middle of the second half and goes, like in all seriousness, he's not joking or anything. He goes, oh, Marks, I think um one of us two needs to score needs to score next, because uh this is a pretty close game. I'm like, mate, what, what do you think I've been trying to do last year? <laughs> For him, it's just like, yeah, okay, I think I'm just gonna score today. Just job done. Like it hilarious, mate. Love
0: that. It's probably a bit controversial as uh, he's your competition at WASP, but what about Zach Kibirigi?
1: For sevens. Yeah, yeah, he he played um, in a Fira tournament, um, and I remember watching him. And he did one sprint, and that was him finished. <laughs> 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 he was absolutely gassed. Um, no, he'd be he'd be very handy at sevens as well. He's he's a he's a mental athlete in terms of like he, he's rapid and he doesn't look like the the strongest bloke in the world, but he's heart he's he's powerful. Um, really hard to tackle um so yeah he'd be he'd be pretty decent but we don't think anyone's going to be making the
3: switch anytime soon then for next summer
4: i think it all depends on on the timing of it all i think that 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 was the biggest thing with me is that i i wouldn't have had time to there was no warm-up tournaments uh it wasn't a 10-week block where you could almost condition back into the sevens I, th- I think it's it's massive on the on the timings. I think if there's a long enough se- a long enough block after the after the season leading into it, then boys are going to be more yeah, would be more open to to the thought. But then again, at the same time, it, it is it's a Lions year as well, so that takes away any of the GB big names into that thought process. But then again, there's a lot of boys out there that aren't haven't played for their countries um, or aren't in their national setups that um, that are seriously good and seriously talented. Right, should we wrap it up there, lads? It's been a monster. It's been monster. a hell of a chat, lads. Yeah, I'm Michael. busting for a piss as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I've been eyeing this pint glass up the whole time and thinking I probably go over the top if I start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks right, so lads. much,
0: boys. Thank you so much for the time. Could go all day, but
1: we've got lives to lead. No, nah, no worries, boys. I enjoyed it a lot.
2: Yeah, top. Thanks so much for that. Cheers, Marcus. Cheers, Rose.
1: Yeah, both absolute legends. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Monster
0: interview with the boys. So much covered. What sticks out from that chat for you boys with Marcus and Rory?
2: I think just both their, like love for the sevens, um, like what it's given them, and the way they were both so candid and open about their experiences in 15s and that insight, like second to none, and like two top blokes telling two different, t- completely different stories, different pathways to success. Um, both that have been at the top of their
3: game and like top to have a chat with them for me. Yeah, that's the one for any, especially for any uh, younger listeners, girls and boys listening, knowing that you can take so many different routes. And into sevens and into 15s, I think that's probably quite a cool thing for people to hear. And, you know, we know them personally, we know how good of blokes they are, and but also their application to their craft is is a joy to watch. And that's what's made them so good at what they do. If you can say one thing from Ross um, like Mitch I you know you touched on it with him
2: when he was saying about just living every like living every moment and speak, like being in that moment and thinking this could this could not happen this could go in a week like you know the World Cup thing he said oh, I can do a, I'm just doing it week by week because that's like I could get cut after a week and being in, being present in that moment and working hard for that moment probably is, is such a good lesson for everyone going forward Clearly you have both got
0: an Olympics to negotiate first, but speaking to them, does it whet your appetite for the potential of what 15s has brought to them and that they have the potential of experiencing in the future?
2: Yeah. Like I was, I've um, done a bit of 15s before I came back into sevens for the Olympics. Um, in the future. Yeah. Like obviously I'm really open to going back to play 15s after the next Olympic cycle. That's what I'm aiming to do. Um Yeah. I, it's good, but then I like, get daunted by the prospect of those uh, Monday morning mauling sessions kicking the absolute living out of each other on the morning. Um, might transition back as a winger, who knows? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's where I'm safe. I can't see myself being involved in any mauling sessions if I, uh, if I get it right. Right, chaps. I think that's us, isn't
2: it? Dot work, birds. really enjoyed it. Mitch, great to see you again. Lovely work, boys. Great stuff. Yes.
0: Yes, that is us for an an epic Seventh Heaven episode. Thanks to Rory McConaughey. Thanks to Marcus Watson. Thanks to Mitch and Chip. And thanks to you all for tuning in as always. Please remember, like us, subscribe, review us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and all that jazz. We want to get up those rankings and get the Seventh Heaven gospel into as many years as possible. But until next time, it is... Adiós, ¿Sí? ¿Sí?